Hello and welcome to the Oodcast. Hello. Hello. We did that in unison. That was very good. Yeah, a hesitant unison, but yeah, a well, unison nonetheless. We're only warming up. <laughs> so the Oodcast, which is um, the audio version of the short-lived <laughs> Doctor Who blog, which uh, is coming back, isn't it? I think. To bring you up to speed, faithful listener, we did a blog for Series 4, which um, was a huge hit. Yeah, us. it was well received. It was. And mums listened to it. Oh, listened, read it, didn't they? <laughs> mine didn't. I don't think mine knew about it. My but mine might have listened to me type. My next door neighbour read it. Very nice. Good. Did they like it? I think so. Excellent. We got a mention on the Who cast, which is one of the biggest Doctor Who podcasts around. Yes, in the fan section. Though. Yes, yeah, well, so they didn't actually see us as sort of colleagues. No, <laughs> one of them did read it, though, which is a start. That was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So the plan, shall I just tell them the plan? So the plan is that this will be a limited edition six episode season where we will talk a little in this episode about how we discovered Doctor Who and what it means to us in our lives. Just a quick sort of so you also understand who we are and where we come from. And then the remaining five episodes will be a review of each of the last five David Tennant specials. That's the plan. Yes. Brilliant. Let's let's set sail. Let's cast our ship into the waters of history. Indeed. <laughs> Let's head to wherever we're heading. Or, or we could just start. Let's there's, step there's into the swirling vortex <gasps> of oh. time itself. Andrew. Andrew Candish. Hi. Andy the Candyman Candish. Now you are arguably, scientifically the oldest of us. <laughs> Indeed. Indisputably. And so you probably discovered Doctor Who before the rest of us. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, I'm a Tom Baker man, born and bred. Grew up with his doctor, and he is indisputably for me still the doctor. But you were bred by Tom Baker in the laboratory. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there was a there was an accident in the laboratory, and uh, but you sprung you know, fully uh, formed from a petri dish. Yeah, living proof. Of, uh, you are one of his curly hairs that yeah. grew arms and legs and walked off. Uh, yeah, I still have a scarf that, that is twelve feet long that my gran knitted for me for my eighth birthday, and I still wear it when it gets cold. And uh, Doctor Who for me is still Hand of Fear, Mask of Mandragora, uh, Tom Baker being weird and and fun and dangerous and and grinny and <laughs> grinny. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you were so that would be what piratical mid seventies, late seventies. Yeah, yeah. Go away, my age. Uh, I I am almost the same age as David Tennant, Tennant which is probably quite a good thing. And yeah, because we now live in a world where the Doctor is younger than all of us, don't we? Yes, Just yeah, about? Yeah, 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 definitely. That makes my tummy rumble. It's an, that is an odd feeling, that he wouldn't have been born when I was watching Doctor Who when I began watching it. So, favourite Doctor, Tom Baker, favourite episode? Oh, the thing with that is that even when they're disappointing, they're still good. They, you, you, you still look at it and you go, oh, but that's still brilliant. The idea <laughs> makes you go, yeah, oh, that's great. 
Oh, we should say at this point that our kind of mission statement for this podcast is over and above anything we may say, we love the show. Mm. Yes. We understand the show is much bigger than any actor or writer that's on at any point. It is just a brilliant show and we will always love it. Mm. So what an idea. What yeah. A, Bear what that in a... mind as we ruthlessly strip all the magic away <laughs> with our criticisms and little nibbling away at the heart of the writer's emotions and shizzle. I don't think they care about what we say. But um, yeah, it's, it's Be- nice do bear that in mind. Do. So favourite episode is, well, if you're going to push me, it's City of Death because that's epitomises what Doctor Who is in terms of being clever and funny and... The plot is just so oh, mad, mad, but <laughs> but makes you gasp, makes you gasp at its audacity. What was it? Seven or eight Mona Lisas integral to the future of life on Earth, and an alien who wants to save his race, but in saving his race, destroys life on Earth. And... No, creates life on Earth. Oh no, I beg your pardon. No, but just yes, yes. Provides the first spark provides that creates the spark of life itself. Now, as you're talking about this, I notice Laura is looking quizzical because Laura Laura is providing a bit of balance in these podcasts because she is a a girl. Say hello to prove it. I think I can probably do this bit myself. And B, a new Doctor Who fan. That's right. I am the populist element. I discovered Doctor Who, and this is because I've never had a television in my life or as I was growing up, so I didn't have the same introduction i still had the tom baker scarf which my dad bequeathed to me and um a love of the theme tune but i've never actually seen a full series until we got to the christopher eccleston reinvention that's interesting because everyone else here grew up with it but your first real exposure to it was christopher eccleston's doctor first thoughts it reminded me a lot of my childhood because he sounded a bit yorkshire so my favourite Doctor is, of course, David Tennant, because I'm a woman and I fancy the pants of him when he's being Doctor Who. Not so much when he's not. And so I think that is a quintessentially Doctor thing. Every woman likes an intellectual who's capable of saving the world and running around looking really hot in a three-piece suit. So, um, yeah, but rest assured, I won't be dwelling completely on his That is not going to be a big component of the podcast. I've been very close to David Tennant's buttocks on numerous occasions. Hamlet and Love's Labour's Lost. Ah, That's right. In the front row. She could have reached reached out out and touched them. But then I thought that would probably be a bit bad for his first night of playing a seminal Shakespearean role and have got me ejected from the RSC forever. So I didn't. Um, My favourite episode is Blink. Um probably the one that scared me the most and made me not be able to sleep for a little bit Mm. but despite that i just think the whole concept behind it is fantastic behind doctor who or blink the episode blink i think is a brilliant brilliant concept the idea that as soon as you shut your eyes things around you happen that you have no Mm. awareness of and the communicating through the dvd easter eggs was quite nice (gasps) fantastic i thought that is actually an extra that whole scene of the doctor talking to the camera is an extra on the, the box set oh, no. and you watch it and you think David Tennant's a genius because he was just there he was with a script and a camera and he made it all link up he made that scene work 
when it's plopped into the scene with uh, Sally and... Also, the, the lady who plays Sally Sparrow, who is now a, like an international film star after uh, starring in The Education. Can anyone remember her name? Carrie Mulligan? Uh, yeah. Something, yeah. Like, Something Mulligan. like that. Um, not quite. I don't think it's quite that. But she is. She's a very good actress. As oh, well. she's um, fantastic. Care, she's Carrie luminous. Carrie Mulligan. Thank you. I thought so that's my my geeky comment on this. I didn't know that was an extra on the box set. I've got all the box set except for series three. Um, so I'm quite annoyed that I didn't know. <laughs> there are always things on these things that I don't know are there. So I don't think. Oh, I must get the box set. To I've be honest, I think it's an Easter egg. It would need to be. It would need to be, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. We should probably inter- Chris now. Hello. Hello, Chris. <laughs> um, I, I got into Doctor Who in a, quite a, well, a strange way in that I, I have a memory of seeing Peter Davison when I was about four and um, being threatened by Cybermen, um, which was my first contact, but then I sort of lost contact for a while. Was that just outside your house? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I lived on a spaceship. Then ah. Um I must have just wandered into a into a room where it was on a TV. And, and I remember seeing a clip from what I now know is Earthshock. Earthshock. First impressions? Well, I've always loved the Cybermen because of that. I didn't see very much of it, but I remember them being quite scary, coming down some stairs with guns, wearing what I could already recognise as cricket batting gloves, spray-painted <laughs> silver. Um, but for me, that just made it all the more interesting. Um, I then... Ooh, they like cricket. That gives them layers, sort of thing, as characters. <laughs> They're not one-dimensional. They also like to kick back and and then take some wickets. Yes. Well, yeah. that's one way of looking at it. Okay. And I started really watching it, I guess, when Sylvester McCoy was doing it, but then started going to the library and getting videos out. So my favourite doctor, because of that, is Patrick Troughton, because I managed to get hold of videos of things like The Seeds of Death and properly old classic... That's really interesting, because I think of Patrick Troughton as being very much a forgotten doctor these days, because there's so little of his... Of his stories that exist. Oeuvre. Yes. Of his oeuvre. Can I say oeuvre? Oeuvre is a much better word than stories. Oeuvre. Thank you. Well done. That's okay. Um, Yeah, no, there are quite a few. My favourite one of his stories, I think, is The Web of Fear, and most of that is missing. I think there's one episode left. And it's a it's an incredibly tense experience to listen to it in audio, let alone see the the pictures. It's a really interesting story, and it's very creepy. I guess it's the sixties uh, version of a, of a Moffat story. I think. Mm. And Patrick Troughton is unpredictable, isn't he? He's quirky and he's fun, and you think you know where you stand with him, but sometimes you think, mm, not sure about this guy. Yeah, he's... the Troughton family. <laughs> The Troughton family. He's creepy and he's kooky. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think he's... I, I've always seen him as a bit sort of nicely deranged, <laughs> if that's a way of... It, he's he's very unpredictable. You never know where he's going, but he's always very nice about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he... I mean, he does He does have the... Uh, there. There is always the chance he's going to get very angry. But it, it, it destroy always... a race or something. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the War Games is not a really fascinating place. I mean, it's his last story, his last big arc, and it's a it's a massive story. It's ten episodes. It's really complex, and in the end, he has to just face up to the fact that as the Doctor, he can't solve this. He needs the Time Lords, but he knows they're going to bust him because he's Nick to Tardis, and to see him going through that struggle, and that's incredibly good acting which I don't think Doctor Who's always been credited for Mm. and suddenly the show becomes bigger and more larger canvas for that doesn't Mm. it the Time Lords and the fact that there's a higher power than the Doctor which is quite a 
Must have been quite a shock back then. I've spoken about this, I guess, before, but what I love about Doctor Who is because it's such a long-running series, its mythology has been built up by different people at different times. It's like the TARDIS in that it just seems to all be kind of jerry-rigged together and, and just somehow works, you know, making the time machine just seemed like a normal police box. That was because Dixon of Doc Green had just finished Mm. and they just had a police box lying around. That's the reason that that happened. Like nowadays, a series will be focus grouped and they'll sit down and work out the concept for the first three season arc, how the characters relate to each other. It's interesting you say that though, because Doctor Who was the result of focus groups. It was the result of of Sidney Newman and one or two others sitting around and and thinking, hmm, we're going to need a younger character so the children can recognise, can, can, oh, what's the word? We're relate. Relate to. And identify then with. Identify. And then you've got the old man, the, the mysterious old man who's a time traveller. Don't know quite what to make of him. And let's have some school teachers so it can be a bit scientific. People did actually... I don't know whether they got members of the public together, but they really sat down I, and thought I don't think they out. did. I, I think they were looking for something to fit into a slot between two programmes, Grandstand and uh, then the early evening stuff. And that was only how it began. All the elements mm. that got bolted on over the years is what I'm talking about. Mm. Like, so, oh, we need a big... Oh, he's a, he's a Time Lord now, you know. Oh, and we need a new actor. Uh, so, oh, we, he can change his... I think in the first regeneration was explained as him just rewinding his... Um, yeah, his body clock in yeah. terms of he just got younger that's what they he said rejuvenated I think is what they said and I guess that's kind of been retconned as him just mm. trying to explain it to his companions in a way that they might understand as opposed to it being what think, actually happened I think that now might be quite a good juncture to say two things one the face that Patrick Troughton pulls as he regenerates your dad can do that perfectly <laughs> and he does that frequently and I think this is also a very good time for us to introduce Chris Mead, who's the fourth member of the Ood cast. Another Chris. Um, and to give you an idea of how much Chris likes Doctor Who, one of his first reactions upon um, learning that he was going to be an uncle and seeing the first picture of his niece, nephew, we don't actually know, is to say, oh, it doesn't have two hearts. It's not a time Aww. lord. <laughs> you so, could see on that. your first reaction. <laughs> that is pretty much his first reaction, yes. So um, that gives you an idea of how much he really wants to be a doctor. Well, my first Doctor was uh, like the other Chris, was Sylvester McCoy. And I, too, went to the video shop and tried to get old Doctor Who's. But Hamstall Video only had four Robots of Death, Talons of Wing Chang, the three Doctors, and some old William Hartnell one that I didn't want to watch because I was too young and it was boring. Um, Those are good, three good stories, though. Yeah, yeah. So I just watched them over and over again. But the, my first ever introduction to Doctor Who was the five doctors which is just absolutely crazy because if you think that episode just breaks everything every rule that Doctor Who has if that's your introduction to the program it just makes no sense like no sense at all all the eras bolted together in some and none of it really works (laughs) strange kind of Sarah Jane falls down a very very um gentle hillside and 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 they have to use a car to pull her back up again which is just because it was meant to be a cliff and they couldn't find a cliff and a way to do it. But then it does have that fantastic Raston Warrior robot. Rastan Warrior robot. Robot. I was, became Zoidberg for a second there. Robot. Big battle thing. <laughs> yes, that thing is awesome. It just completely decimates all the Cybermen. Like, you think they're really hard? No. The, the Rastalon robot can take on all of them. It's Which easy. Which is an interesting thing, because up till then, for me, the Cybermen were indestructible. 
because you'd last had them in Earthshock. Yeah, could only get killed by gold. No, nope. couldn't get a scratch on them. But then suddenly, here's something more powerful than them. And it's ah. just a guy in a leotard as well. Yeah. That's the really surprising thing. <laughs> Which is Doctor thing. Who all over, isn't it? Guy in leotard wastes the most powerful robotic race in history. Yep. That was awesome. So, uh, But then Sylvester McCoy, and uh, obviously i always the contrarian, but I absolutely love Sylvester McCoy because the character was completely redone for the last two seasons. And I think some of the best Who stories, I think Remembers of the Daleks, mm. I think Curse of Fenric, I think Ghostlight. I love those stories. It is the most incredible yeah, the greatest, writing. The greatest show in the galaxy as well. Oh, with the werewolf transformation <laughs> and the scary clowns. I, think I tried to right. watch Ghostlight and I was completely and utterly confused by it. And at this point, I'd like to mention that I, I have a first in English literature and I've studied some of the classics, Beowulf, Shakespeare, all the rest of it. And I had no idea what was going on something about light something about control something about stuffed animals and all that was a really really irritating girl called ace or something running around do not say a bad oh, thing about Ace. oh she was annoying i've got to agree with chris and chris and to some extent with laura because i'm a tom baker man so basically you're like i'm going to agree, I'm with, going to everyone. agree with everybody <laughs> as is my won't this is my character in some ways but because i have a degree in humanities which is all about looking at everybody's perspective all are we once. doing an education contest <laughs> now? i have I, a degree have a in theater one. and it's rubbish so there we go <laughs> but for me it got to sylvester mccoy and i was doing my a levels and so i was at that rebellious uh move on from childhood stage and and diss what you liked in your childhood and so i was very iffy with sylvester mccoy but when it got to his last season i thought oh hold on this this is kicking in and it's becoming really interesting. Yeah, it became like the Doctor's more than the Time Lord. He's like the tip of the iceberg of this vast alien other intelligence that's below the surface and all that's above the surface is just this tiny little clownish man. But he managed to portray, I think, mm. particularly in that last season, this incredible, almost heartless, cold, vast intelligence that was part yeah. of what he was. Heartless, but only only because... Calculating it, it rather can, than heartless, I think. Well, he, he can be heartless, but he chooses very much not to be. And that whole moral dimension of the Doctor's character is something that I've always found very appealing. Earlier, Andrew mentioned that he was going to agree with everyone and not cause any conflicts because that was part of his character. <laughs> Chris Foston earlier today mentioned that he didn't want to have any kind of aggravation or confrontation. And no. um, Chris Mead, of course, is a known pacifist. I'm going to kick it up right Fat style the whole time. I'm going to really? dis- disagree with everything. Okay, but verbally you can do that. But the point is that all three of you are very sort of non-violent, cerebral type characters. Uh, I, I hope you are as well. Uh, no, I, I punched a tramp in the face the other day. She did. He Ooh. asked me for 50p. I was like, get off my oh, leg. Oh, no. Anyway, no, his, that's his not nose true. nose exploded. That's not true. In a little cloud across his... Never mind. In a mist of blood um, and membrane. But the point is that do you think that part of who you are or part of your character has changed or been influenced because of Doctor Who? Like, how has Doctor Who changed you? I used to walk with my hands behind my back when I was at school. I used to go, (laughs) ah. Do you think there's people out there now who, do you think that kids out there know that go, um... I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I used uh, to to go, and, I used to go, I would lo- I'd love the idea of, of kids everywhere looking at things and just saying, what? 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 <laughs> or, Repeatedly. Uh, or, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a school kid. Well, I say a school kid. Well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard kids run around shouting Alonzi 
quite a lot. You you were saying that your your son, (laughs) Chris. He loves he he loves it. He's only ever seen one episode, which was a part uh, partners in crime, and um, because I know what he's like, and he gets very agitated with um, worrying pieces of television. So we were watching something called Luna Jim, which is a, a kids' cartoon about a guy who lives on the moon with a few others. And there was a scene where a tractor was rolling backwards into a moon lake and it was obvious it was going to be saved and he got very upset and he was standing on a chair shaking because he was so frightened. Was it the Sea of Tranquility? I don't know. It was just, it just looked like a big puddle. Okay, moon lake. Um, he got very upset. So I'm, I was worried about showing him any Doctor Who, but he did see it. He did get upset, but then realised it was brilliant. So, um, but ever since, and I mean, he's seen books and magazines and things all over my house. So he's sort of got used to seeing Doctor Who around, and he pretends to be him all the time. He's got a little pinstripe jacket. He's only jacket. seen Partners in Crime. Only, only Partners he, in Crime. I think you were saying earlier that every time he sees a picture of he David does. Tennant in his Doctor Who suits, what does he say? He, he goes, oh, "That's me." That's brilliant, <laughs> and it's it's wonderful. And he will just he. I've got a, a a sonic screwdriver that lights up and buzzes and things, and he. Runs runs around with that and pushes it in people's faces and tells them he's he's destroyed them because he's the doctor. Uh, I have a destroyed uh, them right. because he's the doctor. Well, they do destroy. He does. He's four. He doesn't get he doesn't the complexities. People, so he's the Time Lord victorious rather than your usual doctor. Oh, he's not that arrogant. <laughs> Actually, no, that is misrepresenting my son completely. <laughs> he's very arrogant. About this stuff. Before we move on um, too much, I just want to say that I did repair our wireless network with my sonic screwdriver. It wasn't (laughs) working. And I pointed it, pressed the button, started working again. Yay! Wow. Nice. So, all in all, you have started brainwashing your small child into becoming a Hoovian. I I don't think brainwashing is the right word. I think improving his life immeasurably is the way Mm. to look at it. Don't you think there's something inherently. Attractive, wonderful, or what is the word about Doctor Who? Amazing. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm. I think it, to be honest, I, th- I know it, it sort of, it taught me quite young to start actually thinking about things instead of actually mm. rushing mm. in and trying to sort it out immediately. And even though I know that's what he does sometimes. That certainly the current iteration has been made with such love. And I think that's what lifted up every single, you can see that right down to the smallest prop maker, they love mm. working on the show. And that that absolute passion, combined with I think a fair amount of of talent, obviously it doesn't quite have the money of an American show. Still, even even now, it doesn't quite. But there's that craft to it, and that love, that passion that completely shines through. Even as Andrew says, when it is perhaps a little disappointing, and I think seeing as we're about to do a series about the five specials, <laughs> mm. disappointment might creep in at mm. times. But it is. It's just still this wonderful thing, and it still remains the only only television series that all four members of my family, mum, dad and sister and me, can watch and sit down together and all really like. There isn't another programme like that on BBC or any terrestrial channel at the moment. I would say that's the same in my family as well, except my dad will fall asleep if you put it in front of a TV. So all four of us can sit there while it's on and not argue, which I think is the... There aren't many things that can happen. In. And for me, it's the first thing my family has collectively left the house and gone to a find a television 
to watch since Euro 93, or was it Euro 96? <laughs> now that's amazing, yeah. isn't it? The one with Gareth Southgate. Euro 96. So your family doesn't have a telly, but they had to go and but find one. But they will one go, they will Doctor leave Who's the house on. en masse and walk until they find a television <laughs> so we can all that's, watch it. That's praise for you. Side, yep. side note is that uh, Laura's family's neighbour had heard of the Udcast because she <laughs> listens to several Doctor Who podcasts. She listens to uh, Tin Dog. And uh, the who. So we've been name checked on other Doctor Who podcasts. Yeah, one as far as I know. But I mean, she knew it. She said, "Oh, is that you?" I was like, "Yeah." Wow. The, this is just this is just the beginning, then. Well, yeah, we're already known a little bit. Oh my goodness! For me, though, the the amazing thing is that everybody in the office loves it. Usually, we'll talk about something that's been on telly, and a few people will gather around and have a chat. But everybody in the office talks about Doctor Who and but they all like it. Are you sure? Because I work in the same office as you <laughs> and there are some people who laugh at us when we get excited about something in Doctor Who. Mm, that's but, only because we get excited about it. Oh, so they're, they they're all, laughing at they us, all, but they like Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, they okay. all love it. They all, you know, Monday morning when it's on, we'll come, I'll, I'll come in and, and it'll be the first topic of conversation. And it'll always be, I loved it when, or I loved the idea of, or... That was just amazing. Okay, well, with that in mind... It's very stimulating, like for me, because it's <laughs> Back David to the David Tennant, Tennant thing, yeah. But, but you know, like, like Chris was saying, makes you think, makes you explore different ways around situations. It's a very non-linear kind of programme in so many ways, like the, the whole timey-wimey well, it's non, non-linear. Wibbly-wobbly. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Stuff. And in fact, oh, ah, my, my best friend uh, is also a very recent convert and loved it so much she had to go out and buy all the series of it. And she made a and snow she made darling. A snow darling. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and then she made a snow canine. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, next? I'd also like to report a that snow wrestling robot. <laughs> I don't think they're. They she could really dress her husband since. up in a leotard and just pack the snow around him. Oh, he'd love that, wouldn't he? Yep. Um, Chris was recently. Uh, Chris Mead was recently very, very scared by a Doctor Who spin-off episode for the first time in many years, and that was something to do with clowns. Yeah, I hate clowns. Yeah, the it was Sarah a Sarah Jane CBBC second episode of season, of season two, two. Yeah, which is called I think Day of the Clown. <laughs> cleverly. And is about uh, the Pied Piper coming. It, Pied Piper turns out to be an alien, comes back, starts to try and lead away children again. It's played by Bradley Walsh, which is terrifying. <laughs> mm. And he's got really bad teeth and he goes, And he's very frightening. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that did freak me out. I can I can face Sontarans, Daleks, Cybermen, Slitheen. You know, do you have a problem with clowns? I have a real mm. problem with clowns. Greatest do. show in the galaxy again mm. was that quite was, that was creepy. But again, the program chose to explore why so many adults, in particular, have a fear of clowns, and it was something to do with the. And uncanny. that's Sarah Jane. I mean, that's a re- that that is really for very young children, and they mm. still try and. I mean, they've got. <laughs> if you think with Doctor Who's budget, it's probably about a tenth of the Doctor Who budget. And spent that was on it. Um, very the, very much. It, Emphasised by the fact they could only have one sound clip for the clown's irritating laugh, which basically went <laughs> over and over and over again. No, I think that was a. I think that was a choice. Oh, oh it was it, awful. No. It was a bad choice. <laughs> you know, that's quite scary, isn't it? <laughs> if people want to know how scary it is, what 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 you could do at this point is record that little bit of the podcast, set on loop. And then hide it somewhere in a loved one's <laughs> room at night. And I think they would be freaked out by it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Especially if they wake up to find you standing over their bed dressed as a clown. Yes. Yeah, try that. That is the <sighs> next stage. Everyone try that this week. <laughs> okay. Um, have we got time to talk very briefly about our hopes for the future? I'd quite like to talk about the moth yes. has basically gone on record and saying, if you're worried that your kids are going to be scared by Doctor Who, tough. It's basically what he said. So it's going to get darker, it's going to get more twisted, and it's going to get more adult, I guess, in its themes. Yeah. I and don't know. Well, twisted and adult, I'm not sure is what it'll be. Well, if then... you look at his stories, I think he's more scary, but he explores the fears. And this it's, is yeah, what is And Doctor's always yeah. there to make it better at the end. And, yeah. and he says that if, if there is a great evil that is then vanquished, then that is actually... Kids thing. are happy with that. Mm-hmm. Well, they've got a good mix of writers for this one as well. It's, it should be a, quite a varied series, I think, because they've got the Moff himself. He's doing sort of six episodes, I think. And then they've got Gareth Roberts, who did the Shakespeare Code and the uh, the Agatha Christie one. That's, that theory is very, very similar to um, the chap who wrote Where the Wild Things Are. Mm. Oh, yeah, same, well, same argument, basically. Mo- yeah, Morris Sendak. Morris Sendak, yeah. who said children need to be scared. They need to be angry. They need mm. to be allowed to let out their fears mm. in a in a controlled way. They need to understand their fears. Yeah, they need to yeah understand, explore, and then overcome their fear. And maybe having an outlet to do that will be quite good for the health of society. It was like uh, the group of sort of babies that grew up, I guess, just after us, where they really invented good disinfectant that basically mm. killed all bacteria and they grew up a really sickly generation because they just weren't exposed to any mm. low level. Um, sort of pathogens at all, and I think Doctor Who provides the same sort of thing on a on a sort of spiritual, yeah, emotional level. That's definitely right. Like a kind of a benign infestation of fear that can then be overcome. The so, are we going vanquished. to blame all of society's ills? You know, teen pregnancy and on when Doctor Who was cancelled yeah, in 1989. <laughs> yeah. Doctor Who in 19- Well, we could. You've do. got a point there. There are worse things to blame it on. This is. If the good doctor was still looking over us, we wouldn't be in the situation the, we are. The 90s no, as been so much nicer. <laughs> I, I, I would like to see the deleted episode where Sylvester McCoy extols the virtues of contraception. Really, <laughs> is, is there one of those? Because I would like to see that too. Performs a vasectomy with the sonic <laughs> screwdriver. <laughs> well, my, my point was that there are lots of people saying that this new series is going to be wall to wall scary. And they've got a, a really interesting mix because they've got Toby Whithouse who wrote Being Human yep. for BBC Three, um, who also wrote one of the early, I think it was in series two, he wrote an episode. Didn't he write Who. the Cybermen ones? He wrote the first no. Cybermen ones. No, he didn't. didn't. No, that was... Oh, no, School Reunion. Yes, School ah. Reunion was Toby Whithouse. And then you've got uh, Richard Curtis is doing one as well. The reports I've read of that in Doctor Who magazine say that it's a really kind of funny and beautiful script and it's entirely fitting in with the rest of it i'd see no reason why it couldn't be mm. a real yeah. classic episode also the moffas had dinner with neil gaiman which what is, going just on? What is going on there there what? were lot there were lots of rumors about neil gaiman coming to write an episode and he had to put something on his own blog saying i haven't been asked but the fact that they're talking and the fact yeah. that he every time anything comes up he puts on twitter he is absolutely obsessed i saw something from neil gaiman was it on his blog or something recently saying i can't say anything about this until january the 2nd but January the 2nd came and went. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Stephen Moffat said something like he was asked if Neil Gaiman was writing for his series one. 
and, um, and he went not serious one uh, yeah mm. and, and he goes um uh, or, or if you can't if you can't confirm yes or no can you tell us whether you'd like it to happen and Stephen Moffat said yes it would be nice yeah but then if Ooh. anyone is asked would you like Neil Gaiman to write an episode of Doctor Who yeah. you wouldn't find many people saying no not really if you were going to write an episode of Doctor Who which we probably all have done on? At least what, in crayon at some point. <laughs> what challenge would you like the Doctor to solve? What problem would you like him to confront? I don't have a problem, but I do have a shot. Ooh. I have an opening shot. So it opens with a person we don't know, possibly a new companion or someone, running across a field, pursued by something we can't see. It's a tracking shot, all in one shot, a crane shot. It'll probably take up half the budget of the series, to we'll be honest. you, Aaron Sorkin. Running across a field uh, as the person gets to the top of, of a hillock or something. We see the TARDIS ahead of him. He keeps running, looking back as he's running, and into the TARDIS and into the control room, all in one all tracking shot. All in one shot. go. That would be and awesome. to see the TARDIS with completely nothing around and just run right across and in. And that I don't know what happens after that, but I just think that would be such a great beginning to an episode. Yeah. We That'd don't know be what's cool. behind him. That would be we great. don't know who he is. We don't know how he's got access to the TARDIS. Mm. And this great kind of... I can never say bravura. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that is how you say it. Shot just and into the TARDIS all in one go. There is a bit in the final episode of the special where the Doctor comes out of the TARDIS all in one shot. Do you know, it's interesting. People go on about that shot has never really been done in the series. Do you know what? In the pilot episode in 1963, it happens. Really? It does. You've got um, Barbara, the school teacher... She, Who looks like Sherry Blair. She does. I've never thought of that before. She pushes past the doctor, pushes open the police box doors, and beyond there you see the interior doors of the TARDIS, the big white doors, and beyond that you see the control room, and the camera follows her over the threshold of the police box right the way through, and she's in. It happens in the pilot episode, but it wasn't transmitted. Wow. Mm, that's amazing. I never knew that. And for me, I would have to do something with... Uh, I, I don't really have a problem. I have a monster that I would write and have tried to in the past, which is a bit... I would try and do something with either the Ice Warriors because I I love the fact that they are so dangerous and yet they can hardly move. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a reference to them, wasn't there, in the last... In the Waters of Mars. Yes. Yeah. I, was, I was sitting there hoping they'd turn up. And, um, <laughs> I think he refers to them as the once proud race. Yes, mm. it, it, would, <laughs> it would be either them or I did spend a lot of time in my teenage years writing a story about the Cybermen, um, which I, I think has been kind of done in various elements. We haven't, haven't, the new series hasn't had this universe's Cybermen turn up yet, no. has it? No, Laura? I would ideally like the Doctor to solve a particular problem where he knows the, the correct solution, but the inhabitants of wherever he is believe that well no not not that he's not correct but think that they have the correct solution but it's actually one that's going to lead to their imminent demise and make it a sort of a global warming allegory <laughs> just like the sort of the tyranny of majority opinion can lead to mm. eventual extinction of a species and maybe to have the doctor fail just just to kind of that's put the very, point across very john pertwee era idea and still as relevant now that's great. He sort of fails now, but actually, you know, they'll go on for a little bit, but they've sealed their fate. There's no way back from that point. Like yeah. the point of no return. Mm. Yeah. A bit back to the future. Fact, you could even call it the point of no return. My idea would be some high political drama of 
something like the United Nations of the solar system, if you get my idea. The idea that humanity's gone out there and has inhabited Saturn, Saturn's moons or some asteroids or something. So you've got this big... Uh, you've got humanity out there in the solar system, so you have to have some sort of government. And then the idea is that you have these factions within the government of the solar system and it all kicks off and there's the threat of war and the Doctor has the doctor arrives in the middle of all that and solves it and it, it says big things about politics that are relevant. So at the moment we've Saturn, got... we've politics, got um, human race. Chris Mead doing Aaron Sorkin. We've got Andrew Candish doing Firefly by Joss Whedon. And we, <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with yours. No, Chris is done. Doctor Who. Basically. Chris is just Doctor Who. So and yours as the pop is culture one, ad- I am the only one with something new. No, yours is just like that advert oh. they've got out at the moment with the dad telling the story to the precocious young girl. <laughs> and then the adults burnt all of the carbon and that made some people go underwater. Does it have a happy ending, Daddy? Cut. Oh, asking the audience, does it have a happy ending? It's all up to you. Brilliant. That is the most reductive rubbish advert. And just all right. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So you've put me in outnumbered. So uh, next week we will be reviewing the next Doctor, and then subsequently one special per week for the rest of the series, making six in total. Uh, we hope to see you next week. Goodbye. See you later. <laughs> Tittle pip.